think I need to listen to that soundtrack every day when I'm ready to go to work or something. Surprise, none of y'all were singing along. Some of y'all were mouthing those words. You just didn't want to get audibly let everybody know that that was coming out. Uh, we'll be looking back at those songs and why it is that they're catchy and why they, they kind of stick somewhere within us and why they just kind of, you know, be, they become an anthem. Even if you don't have kids, there's just a piece of it that you just kind of, you don't know why. You don't know why there's a connection there. Uh, in a series called I'm Essential, we've been talking about our sense of identity, where we get uh, this process by which we get a sense of who we are and what our value is. And that's really what our identity is. It's, it's, it's you know, sometimes we talk about our identity by is, is, is how we're recognized, but it's, it's, it's both what we look for to get recognition, but it's also by how we are recognized by others. And it's this sense of how we see ourselves and what gives myself a sense of worth or value as a person, all that's wrapped up in our identity. Now, how we get to the point where we make a conclusion as to what our identity is, uh, is a very complex process that you're not aware of at all. Uh, it's one of these things that y- the culture which you're in will determine how you determine your identity, whether you want it to or not, uh, because it's sort of this immersive thing that you're a part of, and it happens subversively, so you don't even realize that it's shaping you. It's just shaping how you think, uh, how you see the world, but most importantly, how you see yourself. Now, it's no wonder that there are few, if any, cultures ever who have tried to shape your identity in accordance with who God says that you are. And that's, of course, why I'm just kind of spending a whole series on doing this. Now, for those of you who grew up in a strong Bible-believing church, who like coming here because I teach the scriptures, and usually within about five minutes or so, we open up a passage, and I'll be going through it, and you'll be understanding that this message is going to frustrate you because if you're sitting there waiting for me to open the Bible, it's going to take a while. Um, and the reason why is because there are sometimes, in order for you to really understand the scriptures, you have to have kind of a deep intellectual background knowledge before you can understand it. The same reason why when I spent three years in biblical study school, I didn't spend all three years just going verse by verse through every book of the Bible. I had to take a lot of books on church history and theological history and a lot of really dry and boring stuff that I didn't think I would ever use. But then I'll never forget the very last class I took was this class called Old Testament Theology, and it was almost like as if everything I had learned for those three years like clicked in that moment. I was recalling all this boring stuff that I learned. So my hope is that I can go through, man, I really just gave a, gave a horrible introduction. <laughs> I learned a lot of boring stuff, which is what I'm about to share with you. Hopefully you can find some interest in it along the way. Uh, so when we get to the text, both this week and next week, you'll have some more of those aha moments and begin to see the text in light of who you are and where you are and help you understand some of the biases you have when you read the text because of the culture you're immersed in. That's kind of what I'm hoping for, if you will. Now, if you don't come here because you're wanting me to teach scripture and you just sort of like the interesting stuff I say with a few jokes intermixed, this morning's custom tailored for you because we'll be kind of going through a lot of uh, sociology and history uh, as we look at identity formation. Uh, Identity formation back in the earliest of days was family-based, clan-based, tribe-based, and that who you are uh, was an extension of who your family is or what tribe you were born into or what your family clan was. And there was a real sense of uh, your identity was found in bringing honor to your family. That's why that song from Mulan, of course, draws from this idea of, you know, you'll bring honor to us all. You're, you're, you know, who you are, if if you live up to who you are, you will honor your family. Uh, if you do not live up to who you are, 
as my son, as my daughter, as a part of this family. Don't you understand you're part of this family? And as part of this family, you will blank. And if you do that, then you bring honor to us. If you don't, then you're dishonored. So there's this heavy societal pressure um, uh, towards this idea of honor. And for men, uh, honor was brought about by the willingness to do battle on the battlefield to protect the family or the clan, uh, to protect the family's honor. Uh, If somebody messed with your mama or your sister, your duty as a man in the family was to go and defend her honor uh, or defend your clan or your tribe if some other group came and invaded. Now, for the women, uh, it was also very sacrificial that you would give of yourselves, and your primary responsibility was to bear children and raise children. And many of you all know what a sacrifice that is. Both take a lot of sacrifice and a lot of courage along the way. I don't know if you, list, if you picked up on it in that song. There's actually a line in that song. Let me make sure I get the actual wording right. Uh, for the Mulan song. Now, by the way, um, Eastern cultures are still uh, much more tied to the historical ancient uh, understandings of identity, which is why if you look to modern Eastern cultures, you will still find a heavy similarity here. So in the song from Mulan, we all must serve our emperor. So there's your, your, your clan, your tribe idea that we all serve our emperor, who guards us from the Huns, those who would come against us. And here's what it says. A man by bearing arms and a girl by bearing sons right there. I mean, it's, it's almost like as if they went to a cultural anthropological or anthropological, a human history textbook and <laughs> saw this and said, we need to work that into the lyric of a song. And somebody's like, how are you going to work into the lyric of a song? I mean, that's just kind of, ugh. And somebody's like, watch me. And so they did. And they just kind of slipped it right in there. And you didn't even know what you were saying. And yet you are encouraging your daughter to sing along to a song that says, your primary responsibility is to bear a son, little girl. Yeah, let's watch Mulan together. Uh, You don't even realize what it is that you're saying. That's called the magic of Disney. Um, Or the culture which we are immersed in. Uh, Moving on, though. So as time went on, we came kind of out of the uh, ancient tribes. You moved into a lot of our ancient modern civilizations or precursors to modern civilizations. These were uh, the heavily in the Greek uh, philosophy as well as some of the Eastern philosophy. You had uh, both uh, Plato and Aristotle as well as Confucius are all sort of in this realm. And by the way, I know who Socrates is. I don't need anybody telling me how to pronounce Socrates. It was a joke for anybody who'd seen Bill and Ted's, all right? Joke's on you for telling me it's not Socrates. All right, so anyways, I just, the stuff I get told after service. Anyways, um, <laughs> it's true. Um, so for, for these, they had this idea that uh, it wasn't just a matter of your family uh, and protecting and defending your family and growing your family. Rather, there's, there's a universal sense of truth or morality out there. And through reason, we can all... Uh, you know, seek it out, and we can look in and sort of, you know, find that there, there is, if we just search through and we think it through well enough, we'll see that there is sort of a universal agreed upon goodness. There is a virtuous life you can attain. Uh, and so that's where, you know, the, the virtues that would be lifted up, it'd be universal. I mean, who's going to argue uh, against someone who shows courage or someone who has self-control or somebody who upholds justice or someone who pursues after wisdom Uh, or somebody who is pursuing unity and peace. Those are sort of universal virtues. Even to this day, we look at those things as universal virtues. And so when you, if you have somebody who is an example of one of those things, even to this day, we would say, oh, wow, look at that great man, look at that great woman for the the virtuous life that they lived. And so in in those cultures, it was all about, you know, pursuing one or all of these, uh, that you would be known as a virtuous person in that, in that sphere. And so 
for instance, you even had like groups of people that people would gravitate towards. So if, if self-control was what you thought was the most virtuous life, and as you thought things through and reasoned and said, you know, universally, we can all agree that somebody with self-control is, is living a great life. So you had a group of people called the Stoics, and they're primary mission was to deny themselves and move through life in, in complete self-control. Uh, there, if you look in the same you know, day and time, what did the Spartans uphold as the greatest virtue? Has anybody seen 300? Anybody at all in this room? Anybody? Courage, warrior class. And to be accepted uh, is to uphold the values of, of courage as, as a warrior amongst the clan. It wasn't so much about you'll bring honor to your clan by being a soldier. No, you're this is what it truly means to be a man. I mean, if you want to be a virtuous someone who is worthy of recognition and honor and acceptance into society, by all means, you would do this. Why? Because who wouldn't do such a thing? Or in, in an age where philosophers uh, were sort of the rock stars of the generation, to be one who would think through and to sort out and spend time contemplating things that other people hadn't been able to figure out, to be accepted into the society of, of philosophers as a part of that group that would meet together to debate the great tr uh, mysteries of life, uh, you would pursue wisdom at, at all costs. And so uh, that would be well, what it meant to live a virtuous life for those who would pursue wisdom, and, and so on and so on you could go for as those who pursue these different avenues. So, so identity was found really in, in your sense of worth and value by pursuing after this virtuous life. And that continued on one form or another for quite a long time. So the next uh, major evolution into our understanding of identity was the Enlightenment. And under the Enlightenment, it, they agreed that there was a sense of, of sort of universal truths or universal virtues. However, we don't look to the ancient text or the uh, ancient writers. We wouldn't go back to Plato or Socrates or anybody like that to define for us what is truly virtuous. We wouldn't look to religious texts, whether that be in Christianity or in any other faith, for a, a, a picture of what the universalistic, moralistic, virtuous life is. Uh, we won't look to our parents to define for us what that is. Rather, through our own reason, each of us can seek this out and be able to find it for ourselves because each of us has been gifted with the kind of intellect that can figure this out for ourselves. And for instance, sometimes we see remnants of this when you say, what makes you say that's right? And you sort of look at somebody and go, what are you, a moron? Who wouldn't say that this is right? I mean, I don't need God to tell me that, that, that sacrificing an innocent baby so I can have crops that grow, I don't need God to tell me that's wrong. I mean, can't anybody figure that out? I mean, like racism, I don't need God to tell me that's right or wrong. Can't any normal, sane person just figure that out through reason and intellect? So we, we, that's where enlightenment led us, is that you know, through reason and intellect, we should, we should all be able to come to these conclusions. We don't need anybody telling us this, through each of us. We don't need a philosopher to tell us this. These are just kind of plain to everybody. Now, out of the enlightenment, uh, you had the Renaissance era, and the Renaissance era uh, didn't look to the intellectual side for reason to find out what is right and true and good and virtuous. Rather, they were more on the emotional side of things, uh, that, that there is within the heart of everybody is, is intrinsic goodness within you. You don't have to think through what is good. Goodness is in you. The problem is society has corrupted that goodness. And so what you need to do is you need to sort of get in touch with your emotions, with your soft side, with your creative side, and let that express, let, let, you, let you express out the goodness of you. And so uh, that's why there was this big explosion of art, because it was found through the creativity of the human spirit would be unleashed uh, through this creativity. Now, building on all of those building blocks is where you then moved into what we now would call the postmodern era. 
So all of that was sort of like the modern evolution uh, coming out of the ancient uh, tribal cultures of the honor primarily from the parents bestowed upon them uh, into this uh, sort of still a communal sense of uh, who is living a virtuous life or community to be entered into uh, in different classes. And the postmodern era, it, it kind of looked at all of that and said, no, it, we became more global. And when once we became more global, we saw that there was different cultural groups of people all over the world. And although I might look at that and say, you know, that's kind of weird. That's kind of odd that you would just marry whoever your parents tell you to marry. But you know, hey, it works for you, okay? It doesn't work for me. Certainly not, I'm certainly not my mom and dad choose my spouse. Heck no. I saw the girl they picked out for me. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Right? Uh, you know, or the idea of pursuing a career path just because that's what your parents want you to do. Hey, that's great, you know, and maybe over in your culture, you know, if, if your grandfather made shoes, and now you make shoes, and your, your dad, that's just what the people do, you guys all make shoes, that's, that's fine for you, but I want to go off and do my own thing. I don't want to be a shoemaker. I want to kind of be free to do my, so if that works for you in your culture, it doesn't work for me in my culture which kind of you know, led from this idea that there's a universal truth or universal morality or universal sense of rightness or oughtness or a virtuous life that everybody could agree on, either through reason or through intellect or through expression. Postmodern era said, no, it's, it's all relative. You know, what's right for you is right for you. What's right for me is right for me. What we need to do instead is to, we each need to seek out who we are and pursue our own truth. Now, some of the things I'm going to say sound like buzz terms you'll see on talk shows uh, TV shows, etc. Why? Because this is our culture. This is an expression of our culture that you need to seek out uh, who you are. Um, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, right? It doesn't matter. You don't need anybody else's approval for this. It doesn't matter what your parents think about your life choices or the direction you go or what your beliefs are or what you want to do. Uh, they shouldn't tell you what career path to take. That's not for you. You choose your own path. And so we're kind of fully into this more postmodern place. And after all, a lot of those things that people did back in the day was sort of a product of necessity or of evolution, that people did those things because they had to. I mean, you know, if your father was a blacksmith, you didn't have any other choice. If you wanted to be able to eat, you better learn how to be a blacksmith. There wasn't upward mobility. You didn't have those options back then. They were sort of bound by it. Or some of the other, you know, things that, you know, men had to go in fight and women had to stay back and raise kids because it was a survival of the fittest world. They were much more primitive people. And it was just sort of an evolutionary necessity that led to those things. Or some of those things are just socially uh, constructed uh, paradigms to keep everybody in line. That's what a lot of those things were. And, you know, we have progressed past that now as a society. And we realize that, you know, we can all pursue our own ends, and still all work together towards a common end. Because if you do your thing and respect me doing my thing, and I do my thing and respect you doing your thing, we'll all get along, right? Works out so far, right? Um, and so it's more of an issue of a combination of individual preference and practicality. This is what works for me. This is what I can get by. This is what I can do. And I can make a living doing this, and, and I'm good at this, and this is what I really enjoy doing. Um, now, I'm not looking to anybody else to validate whether or not I'm good enough. I'm just seeking out to be able to do what I want to do in a way that works for me. That's, that's kind of where we are at now. Um, the only problem comes is if you reject me for pursuing my own ends. That's where the real problem in society is now, right? It's not that uh, I'm being forced to conform. It's the fact that when I choose my own path, the real problem in society is when you reject me choosing my own path. 
that's, that's, that's the person who has the problem. And, and I'm just, I don't have any time for you. I'm just going to go continue. To so those are, that's kind of where we're at in identity. Now, I want to kind of go, go through and to kind of help understand a little bit more. I want to kind of compare uh, what I'm going to call the, the more traditional view of identity, which is sort of based in the approval of either parents or a community uh, or a peer group versus sort of our postmodern mindset. And by the way, none of us are one or the other. We all have combinations of these. That's why I kind of have to sort of move through all of them, give you a background on it. That even if you are in a mindset of I'm going to choose my own way, do my own thing, there's still a pull to want your parents to affirm that choice. Um, that you want that you want to them to honor your decision. And there's you know a rift oftentimes that comes, and a part of it's because they're not honoring that, or you, you want to seek their honor in some way, shape, or form. Um, there's a, there's a difference in the way that somebody sees duty. Uh, in a traditional culture, uh, my duty is primarily to my family, to my clan, to my tribe, to my people, to my nation, uh, to my race, whatever it may be. I have, I have a duty to uphold there, and that's how I receive, uh, because what I want from them is honor, and that's, so that's what my duty is. Uh, in the postmodern mindset, the more modern mindset that we live in, or Western culture, is the complete opposite. Uh, rather, it's your desires determine uh, what path you should take. Your duty is to is to be true to who you are. And it's everybody else's responsibility to just accept that or not. I mean, that's, that's on them if they accept it or not. Uh, my responsibility is just to be true to me. Uh, not a duty to family, but a duty to myself. Um, there's different struggles. For the traditional identity, uh, there the struggle was, am I capable of living up to the expectation put on me? And that's a real struggle, um, whether it be in doing battle or you know, think about all the different uh, stories we read out in the Bible about a woman who can't have children. That's what the struggle was. How do I bring honor to my family when I can't do the very thing that I'm supposed to do? Uh, I mean, it's easy for a guy. I mean, even if you're not good at it, they can still throw you in the army and let you go out there and see what happens. And if you're a coward, you know, we, sometimes there's a place for you on that. But what does a woman do if she can't upfill that piece? Or and even the modern expression, uh, what if my parents have an expectation on me to carry on the family business and I'm not good at it? What if their expectation of me is to pursue a professional career to, uh, such as you know, go into medicine or uh, go into a legal profession because they, they, they believe that you know, it will elevate our family status, but I'm not very good at biology and I can't do this at all. I'm speaking as somebody whose dad is a doctor and his sister is a doctor and my mom also was a biology major. I took biology 101 in college and barely passed with a C and it's supposed to be the easiest class Florida State offered. It was not my path. Thank God my parents didn't look at me and say, we expect you to be a doctor, son. Sometimes I often wonder when I'm in a doctor's office, this guy's not very good at this. I wonder if he's only a doctor simply because his parents made him. <laughs> I'm sorry, am I meddling or can some of y'all get an amen somewhere on that, maybe in a sixth sense? Yeah, I don't know. I shouldn't meddle in things. Um, whereas in the modern uh, sense, the struggle is to, uh, can I be true to myself? Can I really be who it is that I want to be? Can I, can I blaze my own trail, even if nobody supports me? You know, what if my parents say, well, if you don't go to medical school, then we're not going to support your education. Fine, I'll do it myself. Do I have the courage to do my own thing? And you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to do my own thing. And if you don't agree with it, well, I will just yell at you and I will beat you into submission until you accept it. Or I will succeed in spite of you just so I can say, how do you like me now? Is there anything more American than that? <laughs> I mean, this is who we are. This is, this is our culture. Um, also, another struggle that comes out with this is 
when we blaze our own trail, we believe what we want to believe, we develop our own thoughts, we do our own research, we're own, we develop our own ideas, and our own ideas, whether it be about politics or about uh, issues, you know, sometimes it can become political issues like abortion, gun rights, uh, our sexuality, whatever it may be, and you express your belief or your opinion on something, what happens when somebody doesn't then affirm your belief? Do people take it, I don't know, what's the word? Personal? Do you know why they take it personal? Because it is personal. This is who they are. This is an extension of their personality. I blaze my own trail. This is who I am. I'm expressing who I am, and you're rejecting me. You're not rejecting my belief. You're rejecting me. And so you, you can easily see why there's such a deep divide with people. Because if you are in a culture where your identity comes from an expression of who you are, and, what, and who you are is about what you believe, and you've blazed your own, pale and your own trail, and you've discovered this, and this is what you firmly believe, and this is you know, core to, to what you think is right or wrong, or the truth that you found, and somebody is not rejecting the truth that you found, but they're rejecting you and your path to that truth. And, and there's a sense of, how dare you do that? Well, clearly, you're not part of my friend group. You can just delete them. And it's... Uh, What's interesting about our modern social media especially is, on the one sense we would say, this is who I am and I don't care what anybody thinks, right? But do you? Why? And never before in the history of humanity has there been such a tangible way to show who approves and who doesn't approve, right? Every social media platform has some form of a like. I accept your belief, I reject your belief, right? And if you don't have a little icon that you can click on, you can just leave a comment that clearly states what you disagree with. And then it's on from there, and it's really fun to read and watch. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> but what happens when people reject your belief? Why do you unfriend them? Because I don't want to be a part of a group that's rejecting who I am. There's still a sense of ancient traditional identity that says, I want to receive honor from my community. And clearly, you're not a part of my community. And so I will, you're not going to cast me out of the community and the tribe. I'm going to cast you out of my community and my tribe. And it all goes back to these issues around identity. So where do we get all of this? I just kind of gave you a scratch-the-surface overview education of identity formation. If this is what you do for a living in sociology, human uh, Humanology? Anth no, anthropology. Um, I apologize for the crass overview. But every one of us has been educated on identity formation, anthropology, and sociology. And you didn't get set down in a class. There's no class in elementary school or middle school. It says, all right, kids, you guys are in middle school. You're going to be, you know, you know in, our in our health class this morning, we're going to be talking about who we are and our identity, and I want to let you know some of the different social constructions of cultures around the world and the history of identity formation so that you can choose whether or not you want to pursue your parents' honor, whether you want to pursue a community of peers and groups like a warrior class or an intellectual class, or whether you just want to pursue your own path and your own trail, do your own thing, and let people accept you or reject you as you are. You get to choose which set of, of, of identity parameters you want to use. Who had that class? No. How do we teach identity? It's everywhere. It's our culture. Everything you see, everything you read, 
all of the stories you hear, whether they're biographies, those biographies that they do during the Olympics that give you all the background of the Olympic athletes when you just want to watch the competition and the sport, and you tuned in in prime time because you want to see the volleyball game or the basketball game or whatever it may be, and instead you're hearing this whole long story about how somebody blazed their own trail and did their own thing, and against all odds, with everything stacked against them, you know, nobody said that they could succeed, but they did it anyway. What's that a story of? That's an identity story. And we're lifting this person up as a champion of, of, wouldn't it be great if you could be like this? And that's one of the hard pressures about our culture is that to get noticed, when you're blazing your own trail, if you also want to have that sense of acceptance or approval, you're either doing it through social media or what's the only other path you can go to be somehow very, very exceptional. I mean, if you think about those who have blazed their own trail that we lift up and the stories we tell, I mean, Steve Jobs has how many biographies written about him, how many movies have been made about Steve Jobs' life. And then you've got guys like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, and you look at, they, they, they completely reinvented, you know, this wasn't good enough, we're going to completely redo a different thing. And we look at that, and we go, wow, what an amazing feat. You look at what Steph Curry has done the, you know, to completely revolutionize the NBA. It went from a big man's league to a little man's league overnight. Why? Because he was exceptional at, at nailing three-point shots from far out. Brady's this weird machine guy. I don't know what to say about him. At some point, they're going to take the batteries out of this guy or forget to oil his joints or something, but he's taking care of his body. Uh, both him and LeBron have both taken care of their bodies to amazing efficiency. So they're playing long past where they should be out of their prime. And we notice them because of their longevity. And you have to be, and here's the problem with our modern society, you have to be so exceptional to also, get be, to also be noticed for being who you are in your individuality. Or, and this is where it gets scary, you gotta be really eccentric. We notice the really eccentric. What causes somebody to put on lingerie on live TV and swing from a wrecking ball in a crowd. I want to be noticed. And somebody else is getting noticed more than me. So I'm going to do something more outrageous. I know, I'll have sex with somebody and then it'll get leaked. It's how you become famous. It's how you become noticed by being more and more eccentric. And so if I want to blaze, my, and at the end of the day, I'll just say I'm doing my own thing. I'm just being me, I'm expressing myself, right? But you're also wanting the communal sense of, of acceptance on top of that. Some of these you know, blendings of these identities are out there. And it gets really, really crazy. And the worst is when you see your own kids going down these paths of doing these things that are more and more outlandish and you know, abuse your body more and your life more simply because you want the recognition to, to have the identity confirmation. Identity, once again, was about who I am and my sense of worth. And so I'm gathering all these sources of worth from these different places. Now, it comes out through, through our culture. Uh, so the Mulan song, what is the, you know, Mulan? We talked about it as, as, as an example of traditional cultural identity, right? But is that what the movie of Mulan is really about? Is it about affirming the traditional value of honor? No, it's the exact opposite. It's kind of under the cloak of that. What does she do? I'm not going to do what my family wants me to do. Uh, they said only men could join the army. Well, I'm going to join the army as a woman, and I'm going to do my own thing, and here's how I'm going to bring honor. I'm going to get honor by doing it my own way, and how's the movie end? The nation gives her honor, and most importantly, her, her family gives her honor. And she did bring honor to us all, but how did she do it? 
Not by doing what mom and dad wanted her to, but by blazing her own trail. The uh, Frozen movie, what was that about? Well, if you don't know the song that you were singing earlier, (laughs) you were mouthing the words even if it wasn't audible. Be the good girl you always want me to be. Picture your daughter coming in. I think some of you can picture your daughter coming in and saying, I'm not looking at anybody in particular. Be the good girl you want me to be? Conceal? You're telling me not to feel? To not let anybody know? Well, now they know, don't they? Because I just let it go. I let it go. I'm not holding back anymore. I'm going to turn away. I'll slam the door on all that. And I don't care what they're going to say. Really? You don't care? Then why are you posting on social media? (laughs) Next verse. It's time to see what I can do. Test the limits and break through. Now this next line. This is a line that you sing with your kids with a smile on your face. But is this what you want to be the ethos of your house? No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. You need to clean your room. No, I don't. No rules, mom. I'm free to do whatever I want to do today. You need to say you're sorry, your sister. You need to do the right thing and go apologize. Mom, there's no right, there's no wrong. I'm free to punch her if I want to. Maybe I'm taking it too far. I don't know. But the ethos behind this is, you're not going to tell me what to do. I don't have to conform to you. I'm going to be my own person. And I don't care what you think. I'm just going to let it all go and do my own thing. I'll, I'll walk away from everything if that's what I have to do. So we tell ourselves these stories. We're immersed in these stories, and it shapes how we see ourselves. Now, what's the problem with that? The problem is, your identity is not found or given to you by your parents in seeking their honor. Your identity is not based in a community or group or a tribe of people conferring on you acceptance or validation. Your identity isn't found in being unique or different or eccentric or exceptional. Your identity is simply found in the fact of who you are, whose you are. God created you. You're his. That's it. Now, this shapes how we read scripture. When Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son, how you understand identity formation is going to change how you understand the, the, the story. I don't know if at some point I want to do a, a whole series on this. It's not going to be in this one. There's a, there's a book called The 3D Gospel. Great book. I've been reading through it. And it talks about how the three different paradigms of salvation around the world. One is the honor um, um, honor shame culture. Uh, one of them is the law justice co- uh, culture, and the other one is a guilt. Is it guilt shame? I can't remember how that goes. Anyways, not as good on the throw. I'm not following through the book yet. But how you read the parable of the prodigal son depends on what paradigm you're coming out of. For one culture, if you don't know the story, in Luke 15, it's about a son who goes to his dad and says, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have all my inheritance money so I can leave and go off and do my own thing. Things don't work out too, for him too well. He makes a lot of bad choices, a lot of bad decisions, commits a lot of sins, and eventually realizes he's made a lot of mistakes and comes back home groveling, hoping that he can just work at his dad's house, not as a son, not fully accepted, just kind of work there and kind of get himself back on his feet. That's kind of the story you can read about in Luke 15. In the honor culture, they would look at it and say, what the son's great sin is, is he did not honor his father. In our Western culture, is he pursued his own path, but it was 
a bad path by any stretch of imagination. I mean, after all, what, what does it say? That he, what did he do? What stands out to us? What did he do when he was in that faraway land? What was that? Say it. Say it loud. Come on, you adulterer. Say it loud. See what I did there? He was out with prostitutes, right? Now, the thing about that is, is regardless of whatever cultural background you come from, you can pursue whatever path you want to, but there are certain universal things we all agree on and say, that's categorically bad, you can't do that, right? You shouldn't, even if that's who you've, if you do that, that's not who you are, right? Like, going around with prostitutes, nobody, you know, p- brags on social media says, I just want to let you all know, I may have been a player back in my day, but I ain't got nothing on my son. <laughs> who makes that post, Right? Nobody, right? You don't, you don't lift that up as a value and say, well, my son's you know, blazing his own trail and he's you know, with more women than I ever could have been with. That, that's not something we lift up, which is why, and here's why. Last week when I had you say, I'm, an adult, I'm a sinner, that was kind of generic. We're all sinners. Who's, who's going to deny that, right? But when I said, say that you're a murderer, say that you're an adulterer, there's a piece of you that checked up on those. Because even though you wouldn't say, I'm in an honor culture, you know there's no honor in that, right? Even though you've actually done that by pursuing your own path, you don't want to fest to that. Because it shakes at your core of who you are. And my sense of worth or acceptance in some way is going to be connected to that. And when the son gets to the, the, to the point where he's down there feeding pigs, he says this thing, he says, I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Let me reinterpret that. Let me rephrase that. I am no longer worthy of being who I am. He didn't say that. If he'd said that, he may have, you know, that doesn't make any sense, right? How can you not be worthy of who you are? It's who you are. He says, I'm no longer worthy of being a son because he had this mindset that I had to earn my place of honor in the family or that I tried to pursue my own path, but I have failed. And because I failed, that means there's something wrong with me. You ever felt there was something wrong with you? Everybody has this sense that there's something wrong with us. It's like, that's what comes along with Western culture. Why? Because you're supposed to blaze your own trail, do your own thing, and if you do all of that, it'll be successful, but then it's not. And you messed up morally, financially, physically, career-wise, whatever it may be. Uh, I wanted to, to reform the NBA with a three-point shot, but I wasn't any good at basketball. God messed up the way he made me. I, I wanted to do the right thing, but I just have these desires, and I guess it's just the way God made me. I'm just messed up. And God comes back and says, no, you are who I made you. But you're my son. You'll always be my son. And nothing's going to change that. It was never about you earning my approval or my honor. It was never about you going off and doing your own thing and having that work out and then I would accept you. No, you're always my son. I want to shift gears over. When Jesus gets baptized, a voice comes out from heaven and God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Where in the story of Jesus' life does that happen? The very beginning. It's Matthew chapter 3. Let me give you the rundown at the beginning of Matthew. Here's his genealogy. He was born. Some people showed up. This is my son who I'm well pleased. 
Now, in our mindset, and here's what's so funny, I've heard people say this, you know, what do you want most in life? I want to walk into heaven and hear God say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. If you say that, what you've just said is, I am holding on so tightly to my understanding of who I am based on my cultural uh, cues of identity, and I want to somehow shove God into that. And we think that it's spiritual to say, I don't look to my parents for honor. I'm not looking to society for honor. I'm looking to God for honor. And so I will do what I need to do before God to be honored by him. That one day I could be worthy of him saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. As if God said that to Jesus when he was on the cross. That's where we think it came. That's what our theology portrays. Because after all, after Jesus lived a sinless life, and is up on the cross dying for the sins of the world, mission accomplished, right then is when most of us as parents would want to look down on our child and say, that's my boy. You made me so proud today. When does God say it? Before he's done anything. Why? Because it's who he is. He is God's, and he is loved. Now, do you think that was just about Jesus, or is it also about you? I don't have time to go through every scripture that talks about how God sees you. One of my favorite, though, is Isaiah 43. When you go through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the fires, they will not consume you. He goes on, why? Because I've called you by name, and you are mine. And God is saying this at a time where the people have been so disobedient, they've been cast out of the nation of Israel. God says, you're still mine, though. You'll never not be worthy of being my son because... You are. You're my son. My child could never come to me and say, Dad, I'm, I'm no longer your son, man. After what I did, I, I wrecked the car, ruined it. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not even worthy to be your son. What do I say to that? Well, a little hard work. You can earn your way back into the family. <laughs> Yet theologically, we do that all the time with God. I can confidently say I'm a murderer, and I'm an adulterer, and I'm a sinner, because I also know I'm his son. And if your child is confident enough to know who they are, they're going to be more confident to be able to come and confess what they've done, because it's not a threat to who they are. They're standing with you. Would you join with me to close our time in prayer? Father, help us just be able to see beyond everything we've been immersed in, beyond every performance-based paradigm that's told us who we are, what we have to do to be accepted or loved, and simply understand, Father, we are yours. Each and every one of us is not an accident of biology or evolution, Father, rather we are your creation. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. When we finally grasp this like the psalmist, we would just look before you and say, God, who am I that you would even care? And your answer throughout Scripture is a resounding, you are mine. You are my son, you are my daughter. I have called you by name and you are mine. Father, may what we do not be out of any desire to earn your honor or earn your acceptance but be simply living out who it is that we truly are. We truly are the child of the king. 
a being for another, that's destined for another world that was created to have a loving relationship with you that we would last for all eternity. Father, allow that to be our source of identity, our sense of identity of who we truly are. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.